1: The, uh Thursday
0: it is Thursday and it's early in the morning and we're recording and we're talking Hall of Fame we're talking managerial decisions we got a lot to talk about and I wish you came in with more of a bag
1: sorry here's my bang you ready yeah hey hey <laughs> how are you I'm doing pretty well just baseball show this is Thursday December 9th Jack McMullen Peter Apple you know we're we're in the Early parts of the midst of the lockout. The lockout started last week. We're sitting here twiddling our thumbs saying, damn, this is going to be going on for like six more months. There's a chance we miss games because of this lockout. And the answer is yes to all that. Possibly. But naturally, the, the baseball conversation never stops. No. It's a cycle. It's an annual cycle. So what we just hit before the before the lockout was this free agent frenzy that was a bit premature we didn't think we were getting it that early in the calendar now we're getting what we thought exactly we were going to get in the calendar and that's the hall of fame conversation the hall of fame conversation you know sparks up at this time of year it always sparks up when baseball's dormant actively uh and now we can fully dive into that with the lockout and no current baseball in the way to impede that And this is why I'm
0: kind of excited to go over all of these specific players because each of us are going to run through two people on the ballot. Um, I personally, I don't know if you have, I don't see a lot of coverage of these individual players much. I see a lot of the conversations centered around the steroid issue in the Hall of Fame voting, but nobody's really going over all of these individual players. So that's why when I was doing a deep dive, and you were doing a deep dive, you probably found some things that surprise you and that just haven't really been talked about. So we're here to do that.
1: Yeah, so here's the thing. What a lot of, what a lot of the major outlets cover regarding the Hall of Fame thing is, is the people the that might get yeses. It's the narrative, and it's also the people that might get yeses. Here at Just Baseball, we go way over the top, and we're idiots. So we're going to tell you all about the people that are going to be so resounding no, get the hell off the ballot, why are you even on here?
0: But still you- deserve love and still had phenomenal careers. And the the way that you're mentioned even in the Hall of Fame voting is a success within itself. To even be 100%. mentioned with these greats. So that's why, like, a lot of these guys, like, I'm going to talk about Tim Linscombe in a little bit. Tim Linscombe in itself probably won't be a Hall of Famer. I mean, definitely won't be a Hall of Famer but was one of the great pitchers of his era and
1: deserves a lot of love for what he did for the city of San Francisco. What's the criteria for for appearing on the ballot? It's at least 10 years. Um, I don't know the exact criteria, but what we do know is like there are no slouches on the Hall of Fame no. ballot. And we're starting with the first years. We're going to kind of work our way up to the big kahunas, the Bonds, the Clemens, the shillings. Uh, but we're going to start at the ground floor and kind of walk you through who should be getting in, who should not be getting in, who has a chance a little bit later on in their career, who has no chance and it's a one-and-done type thing. This is going to be a good conversation, but before we get to the Hall of Fame conversation, uh, I do love talking about the active baseball stuff. Yeah. Apparently, Steve Cohen just paid Max Scherzer to be an advisor to the team because Max has (laughs) openly said that he wants Buck Showalter as the next manager in the Mets.
0: It's funny, when I was looking back at Buck Showalter's career, you'd think that he would have a winning percentage below five hundred, right? The fact that he's been with the Orioles, the Diamondbacks. I know he managed the Yankees as well, but he hasn't had a ton of success in every single season. He hasn't been a 86 87 win manager consistently. You know, he's had his ups and his downs. But historically, he is over five hundred winning percentage. Like, even through the toughest years, he could still show you how to win, and a, a guy like Max Scherzer respects that more than most. So it makes a lot of sense, but it
1: doesn't. Make, Buck Showalter makes a lot of sense with the New York Mets. He really does. He does. Um, you know, Buck Showalter is is one of those stand up guys in baseball, and you and I both know it well. Uh, there are a lot of not stand up guys. in Absolutely. Baseball. There are a lot of sleaze balls. And Buck Showalter, by nearly every account, is not a sleazeball. This is a guy that um, appreciates the old school, <clears throat> can adapt to the new school, maybe even more so than Tony La Russa. You know, Tony got a, good a really bad rap before he took over in this 2021 season because he couldn't adapt to the new school. And he didn't. But his players, at the end, liked him. The players overcame Tony. With Buck Showalter, if he were to step right back into this managerial role, it would look a lot like Joe Girardi, I think, in regards to appreciating home runs, RBIs, batting average hits, doubles. Uh, But also taking into account splits. Buck Showalter was really good with the situational reliever. Buck Showalter thinks about baseball in a way that not many managers can think about it. He's got this acuity with this sport that I'm not going to say is unmatched because there are people that think in a similar way to Buck Showalter, but is matched by few.
0: I agree. And I think another guy who seems like they sort of think alike, you mentioned Tony La Russa, Mike Schilt, is another guy that I feel like they're all cut from the same cloth. And I wonder if the Mets would possibly be interested in someone like a Mike Schilt. Because I feel like, I don't know if Buck Showalter has something to prove, while I feel like Mike Schilt might have something to prove.
1: Okay, so y- you know what I will say to that? Um, Mike Schilt obviously didn't get along with John Mozaylock, and and that's yeah. why the relationship ended. So how are you going to deal with Steve Cohen? You know what I mean? I like John Mozaylock at least, but was knows John Mozaylock? But is John Moselock like this is
0: the game script? This is what we're going to do versus a Steve Cohen who says, I need someone like you to write the game script. I'm not sure if Steve Cohen is actually saying that, but that's what it seems like. So I feel that I don't know if they're similar in that way, but I understand what you're saying to the fact that he hasn't been working well with ownership and and the front office.
1: Yeah. And, And I'm not saying that Steve Cohen thinks he's a baseball mind. I'm saying, you know, Steve Cohen in New York is a guy that'll walk into the manager's office and say, hey, why the hell aren't we winning? <laughs> like, that <laughs> yeah. would piss me off. And obviously, you know, Mike Schilt was pissed off by somebody who really knows baseball. John Moselak knows his shit, but he, he might have overstepped some boundaries that I believe general managers shouldn't overstep. Uh, but Fair. such is the case in 2021. You know, we've talked about it. Um, yeah. I, I remember during the NLCS hearing Boog Shambi do a sit down with Andrew Friedman with the Dodgers. And, and it really just sounded like Friedman was the one... Uh, conversating with Scherzer and Bueller about Scherzer's arm—it wasn't Dave Roberts, but like that is the dynamic, and that's where the lines have been blurred between executive and manager. Um, I don't—I don't think the lines would be blurred between owner and manager in New York, but I think that would be a bitch of an owner to work for. I don't know—is uh, it
0: bad that I'm kind of coming around to Steve Cohen? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. I. I'm just fired up when someone like that with big money walks into baseball and is like, you know what? I'm actually going to spend. I'm actually going to try. And I have to respect that as a fan of the game, that the owner genuinely cares about the Mets. I think that's clear. Can he be a bit, you know, strange? Especially on Twitter. A bit? bit? But, I mean, we've dealt with some oddballs in baseball. Like, this isn't new. We've come across... We've come across people like this. I am, and it depends how the Mets do, because the Mets, with all this talent, I think if you ask a Mets fan, the only thing keeping them from being a perennial playoff team is themselves. Yeah. The Mets will be the Mets. But I'm confident in this year's roster. I'm confident Steve Cohen added the deadline. I'm just, I'm feeling good about the Mets. And I know this kind of got off track a little bit, but I am, I'm starting to like Steve Cohen. I'm, no, I'm getting fired up.
1: <laughs> it, it's not off track because you were discussing things that are pertinent to getting a good manager at yeah. the helm of the Mets, right? You are discussing things that make the job enticing. Uh, you just presented the pros. I'm kind of presenting the cons here, right? And and you come to this neutral view of the Mets. One more thing on Buck Showalter, and I've said it before on this podcast, uh, I'll say it again because I don't remember the last time I said it. I guarantee it was a couple of months ago. We've been sure. doing this podcast for not not a long time, but like longer than I think we think it's been going. I, we're on what, month nine, month ten? I mean, we
0: started April 1st going over Fernando Tatis Jr. contracts, giving them out to everybody. And now we're on episode 114. And it was crazy. Aram sent me a screenshot from the chartable rankings for podcasts on Apple on my birthday, and we were number eight in baseball. So again, yeah. I have to thank all of you listening. It's It's been an incredible ride. And the best part about it is that we're not stopping. We're only doing more episodes. So you can catch this ep- this podcast five days a week because we're just going to keep rolling. We want to get to number one, and it's all thanks to you guys. So genuinely, genuinely appreciate you all.
1: Amen, amen. And here's my final thought on, on Buck Walter. You know, he said in the early 2010s, we are at the golden age of baseball. Yep. Guys are throwing harder than ever before. They're, they're hitting the ball farther than ever before. They're running the bases quicker than ever before. That's a guy that appreciates what baseball has become. And he's yep. not going to be a three true outcome manager, but he's going to understand that sometimes walks, strikeouts if you're a pitcher, and home runs are essential to winning baseball games. So you that's a th- guy I think that gets it.
0: I agree. You know what's essential to winning baseball games? You have to to have a deep understanding of the analytics and understand where to position yourself while also having the feel, having the eye test, something that I think an Alex Cora does very well. He's obviously analytically driven, but he will sometimes go back on on the numbers and say, you know what, I feel that this reliever should go in here. I feel that this position player should get this pinch hit at bat. Things like that, that he feels, and it ends up working more often than not. You have to have the feel combined with the use of
1: analytics. Bob Melvin, another example. Another perfect example. Bob Melvin is one of the best managers in baseball. So here's the criteria for appearing on the Hall of Fame ballot. Candidates, this is directly from uh, the Baseball Writers Association. Candidates to be eligible must meet the following requirements. One, a player must have been active as a player in major leagues at some point during a period beginning 20 years before and ending five years prior to election. Player must have played in each of 10 Major League Championship seasons, some part of which must have been within the period described above. Players shall have ceased to be an active player in the Major Leagues at least five calendar years preceding the election, but may be otherwise connected with baseball. So the minimum criteria is 10 MLB seasons. 10 MLB seasons is sneaky hard to get to. Yeah. There's not a lot of guys that have done that. And, of course, there's, you know, a vetting process after that. Um, but, I mean, you've got guys that that will never sniff the hall, but they appear on the ballot and you say, wow, I remember them. They were a really, really good player. And that's what we're looking at right now with the Hall of Fame ballot.
0: The average service time in baseball, last time I checked, was around three and a half years. Um I what's crazy I think you come up the first you play one MLB game and you have health care for life that doesn't really matter yep. for the Hall of Fame but it's just it's that hard to stick in Major League Baseball and then to last 10 years in itself is an incredible accomplishment and then that's why I gotta say to even be mentioned on the Hall of Fame ballot is such an accomplishment
1: and we could break into number one if you want to go oh, I could go first what do you think? We could. Yeah, so we're attacking two each at a time. So right now you're going to hear the case to be made and kind of our verdict on whether they should get in or not on four guys on the Hall of Fame ballot right now. All four of these guys are first ballot guys. I've got A.J. Pruszynski and Prince Fielder. You've got Alex Rodriguez and Tim Lincecum. we got to save A-Rod for last, so I'll start. And then you do Tim next. I'm going to start with AJ Prasinski. AJ Prasinski had a 19 year major league career that took him to seven different homes. He was a White Sox for eight. He was a twin to open his career for six. He was an Atlanta Brave for two years. He had cups of coffee with Texas, San Francisco, St. Louis, and Boston. AJ was a career 280 hitter with a 739 OPS, which correlates to an OPS plus a 94. So, ever so slightly below average. He finished his career with over 400 doubles and over 900 RBIs. Across his 19 seasons, he won a Silver Slugger once and was named an All-Star twice. 19 years is a really long time. Let's kind of make this, you know, let's look at him compared to a lot of other catchers, right? The average career war... Of a Hall of Famer sits anywhere from fifty to seventy wins above replacement. Yep. Catchers, as we know, are at a premium. Catchers who at least, or ha- catchers who have at least forty-eight career WAR, so two below the lower echelon of the Hall of Fame average, at least forty-eight career WAR, are eleven for twelve in terms of getting into the Hall. The only exception there is Joe Maurer, who ranks ninth all-time among catchers in career war, and he doesn't even hit the ballot until 2023, and the conversation is going to be there for Joe Maurer. AJ's got a career war of 23.8. Not only is that nowhere close, but JT Realmuto's going to pass him in 2022. Mike Napoli finished with more war, as did Russell Martin, Brian McCann, and currently active and early 30s catcher Salvador Perez. 19 years as a clubhouse leader is a lot, especially after you got your shit rocked by Michael Barrett in 2006. <laughs> but longevity alone is not enough to keep him on the ballot to live another year.
0: Most hated at some points. I yeah, mean, but he was easy. not well-liked, but you got to give your respect to A.J. Brzezinski. I mean, what a career, defensively, offensively. I know his numbers trailed off as... His career came to a close as he entered in his 30s. But that prime, I mean, he was he was a good catcher. Quite honestly,
1: I don't even know if he should even be mentioned on the ballot. No, 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 no. he respect, is. Uh, you know. Right. He's on the ballot, you know. so we're going to talk about him. The deal with AJ is like 19 years is a really long time to be a for catcher. catcher in Major League yeah. Baseball.
0: And he was a catcher for a lot of those years. Not, I'm um, going over to first base
1: once I hit 30 or DH. Like, he was a catcher catcher for a while. And he's great with Fox now. I mean, this is a guy he's that... good with Fox. You know, like, th- this is a guy that certainly is going to hop off the ballad right now. But when you look at lifetime achievement within baseball, if he keeps going, and if he's the analyst for some World Series when Smoltz hangs it up, I mean, there's a chance that AJ gets in way, way down the road, and his hair, instead of bleach blonde, is white. <laughs> um, you know, but, but it's going to be a long time, and it's going to be because... His impact on baseball went beyond his playing career. But the Hall of Fame, if you get in with the writers, is focused on your playing career alone. And AJ is nowhere close to getting in. The problem
0: is, I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's based on your playing career alone. I mean, even a guy like Kurt Schilling, who is a clear Hall of Famer, if you just look at his playing career, he told writers yeah. he doesn't want to be on the ballot. Do you think writers are like, well, if you don't want to be on the ballot... If, you, if you're calling us out directly, maybe we don't want to vote you in. Remember, everyone, everybody's human and they understand that each one of these guys and a lot of players on the Hall of Fame have a crazy history. I mean, there are a lot of guys. So I feel like narrative pushes a lot of this. And we the fact <laughs> that A.J. Brzezinski is not well-liked you know, among players yeah. in general. Not only is the war not there, the OPS is low, so he probably won't make it. But
1: respect. That's all, I, you yeah. know, I respect it. I respect it. Listen, we told you baseball's full of sleazeballs. balls. Um, yeah, and you're right. I I I should have reworded that. How about this? Baseball it no, it's in, like what you
0: should be. But yeah, if but if be.
1: you get voted in, if you get voted in by the writers, um it is predominantly about your playing career. There are other factors that that That's play into that. That's a good point. Cuz if, if, if Timmy. God, I love Timmy. <laughs> Me too. So
0: Next up on the Hall of Fame ballot is Tim Lincecum. There are few athletes in sports that truly make you stop what you're doing, put down the remote, and simply enjoy peak performance. Tim Lincecum, aka The Freak, was the most electrifying baseball player from 2008 to 2011 before nagging injuries ultimately shortened what might be a Hall of Fame career, probably not, to just 10 seasons. But how can a player be nominated for a ballot when in six of those seasons, he had an ERA over four? But that was how good Tim Linscomb was for that four-season stretch. Standing at a generous 5'11", 170 pounds, Tim Linscomb defied the odds and was at one point the best pitcher in baseball. In that stretch, he won two Cy Youngs, which only 11 pitchers have ever won consecutively. He went to four All-Star games, led the league in strikeouts three times, and threw two no-hitters. From 2007 to 2011, Lincecum compiled 25.6 war. The average Hall of Fame accumulates 50 to 70 war, like you said, so that means he made it halfway in just five seasons. He was a key cog for the Giants through their even-year dynasty, winning three championships, registering a 2.40 ERA during the playoffs through 56 innings of work. His herky-jerky mechanics have definitely burned a hole in baseball fans' memories, and even if he doesn't make the Hall of Fame, his name will remain up there with the goats of his era.
1: He was the freak before Giannis was the Greek freak. I Seriously,
0: mean, he developed that nickname. He, the freak is, and it was given to a generous five
1: foot eleven when Giannis stands at a honestly generous six eleven. He might be bigger than that. Yeah, well, it's like KG being listed at six eleven for his entire career, when Kevin Garnett was so very clearly like seven so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. It's like they like Kevin Durant is listed at six nine, and he's seven foot. Yeah, there are, are some there are some people that just like don't want to be seven footers. Like KG never wanted to be a seven footer. <laughs> Kevin Durant doesn't want to be a seven footer. I don't get it. Uh, Tim Lincecum so badly wanted to be a six footer. I'm sure, but he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, the freak was like, I mean, peak of his powers, Tim Linsicum was must watch television. And I, I think that that plays a huge role if I'm filling out a ballot. Like, were you must watch TV? I'm pissed that Griffey wasn't unanimous. I mean, the three writers, they, one of them just mailed in an empty ballot. Fuck you. Fuck yeah. you. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, like, just the worst. Like, don't do that. Uh, if What's you're, the if point? You're give, it mail in, give it to give us. Give it Give it to us. We'll
0: vote God. for Ted, I promise. We'll vote all Ted.
1: You're right. Um, But like with Tim Lincecum, it, it was way too short a window. But he was the most must-watch pitcher in baseball at the time. And I think that's when Kershaw really took off. That's when Verlander was going nuts. Yeah. But Tim Lincecum, above all else, every fifth day, I'm watching a Giants game. His mechanics
0: have, like, I think they really have just burned a hole in baseball fans' memories. You would think that Tim Lincecum had a 20-year career and compiled, you know, 300 wins, a ton of strikeouts, and was easily a Hall of Famer. But when you look back on it, his career just kind of fell off a cliff after that stretch. Yeah. And it had to do a lot, and this is what I think personally It has to do a lot about with his athleticism because his mechanics, you have to be such a crazy athlete to be able to complete what he did. That's why they called him the freak. So when that athleticism tails off, so does the performance. And in such a steep way because you have to combine so much to even be able to pitch like that. And when you have a nagging injury here or there, That immediately ruins those mechanics, ruins the deception.
1: You drop in fastball velo. I mean, he's throwing 97 at some points. When you say that, when you walk me through that, how how you need to be so finely tuned to execute time after time, what hitter am I thinking of? What active hitter am I thinking of that's going through the same exact thing? Finely tuned hitter. NL Central. NL Central? We've talked about it. Christian Yellich, oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I didn't even think about that. I was I
1: was thinking about something else. Yeah, but think about think about how many small complexities are in that swing, and if he's off, he Such hasn't been board. entirely healthy. It it throws the entire thing out of whack. It's like yeah. a sports car hitting a pebble. You you get totally thrown off course. And that was Tim Lincecum. He was dealing with some injuries. Uh, you know, a lot of people remember Tim for the pot stuff. <laughs> um yeah i'm sure you remember that too like you know that w- that was funny and the reality is like he played in northern california he was obviously a west coast guy like you can't dang him for that shit um, i don't care and he's but, such a
0: san francisco-ian that he still yeah. lives there you know he still lives in san francisco what a i in the bay area yeah just
1: chilling <laughs> like he's such a he's such a norcal guy i love it he's he's a bro uh yeah i mean tim Lincecum, like you know, I don't necessarily know if I if I remember him for the sustained success. I remember him for, for trying to wring out anything left of yeah. the towel. You know what I mean? Like you remember those those private workouts that he had and in the quick half season deal with the Angels where he just flubbed. Like there was a little bit too much to tarnish his career on the back end to get consideration. But holy shit was that front half of his career so good. I think that five season stretch where he almost accumulated 26
0: war and we said to ourselves about 50 to 75 is the average in baseball that's impressive as hell like that's incredible
1: if you think about it it's incredible 100% Prince Fielder you ready for this? I'm ready oh my god like how before I get into this how much did you love Prince Fielder when he was in Milwaukee and then when he was in Detroit his swing is another
0: one similar to Lincecum that is burned in my head that I will always remember the oomph of a home run that Prince Fielder would hit. So that's just on. That's just watching him. Tell me about him. Just tell me.
1: Yeah. Well, his inside the park home run is forever etched into my mind too. Yeah. I mean, seeing that body chug around the base path. He was athletic. He was athletic. He, really he was athletic. athletic. Prince Fielder in his career had six all-star knots. He had three silver sluggers. He had two home run derby crowns. He had three top five MVP finishes. Prince's power was prolific. His 162 game average was exceptional. 283 with a 382 OBP and an OPS just shy of 900. An OPS plus of 134. 32 bombs, 32 doubles, 103 driven in. That was his 162-game average, and he would play all 162 often. He logged nine seasons, appearing in at least 157 games, including eight years in a row. This guy was insanely durable. The problem here is the durability fell off a cliff, and longevity is the issue that's going to hold him out of the hall two neck surgeries over the span of two years, ended Fielder's 12-year career in 2016 when he was just 32 years old. He's 37. He should still be playing right now. He finished his career with 319 home runs. It was blatantly obvious to me, and I think to everybody that watched Prince, that he had a real, real shot of getting to 500 and do so cleanly. We've known that 500 is the golden ticket into the hall. It's kind of the barometer for power hitters. Miggy, earlier this year, makes it 28 players to ever hit 500 home runs. Of the 28, there are six on that list eligible for induction that have not gotten in. Bonds, Maguire, Palmero, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa. Know what they all have in common? Know what Prince doesn't have in common with them? C four and C five herniations cost Prince a Hall of Fame career that would still be going on. Yeah,
0: damn. Like damn. I mean that that's the only thing stopping him from being a Hall of Famer because he was on that trajectory. I mean, two thousand eleven, he had three hundred thirty eight bobs, one hundred twenty RBIs. He was so good, and um. Another another fact about Prince Fielder that I'm looking at. I mean, from 2006 to 2013, he missed
1: 13 games. Yeah. I'm telling you that 8-year stretch, he never played fewer than 157 games. What? For a man at his size, he was flexible. He did yoga. He was an ESPN, the body issue. I mean, do you remember that? He's... Wow, he finished
0: in the MVP one, two, three. I mean, he's... Just unfortunately not a Hall of Famer. He only played 12 years. Damn it.
1: Damn it, right? I mean, he signed that
0: huge contract with Texas for a reason.
1: (sighs) Yeah. He signed it with Detroit, right? And then... Did Detroit trade him to Texas? I think it was like nine years, 214 with Detroit. I mean, this guy's power was insane. He and Cecil Fielder, I think only father-son combination in MLB history to have 50 homer seasons apiece, and then Vladdy Jr. and Vlad just joined them as the only father-son pairs to have 40 homer seasons each. Like, the Fielders and the Guerreros... Are the two best power hitting duos ever? Ever, do
0: you think? And I feel like this is kind of an easy question. Do you think he would have hit 500 home runs if he played? I do. Maybe 15, 20 seasons. Yeah, I think, barring injury, this man is a Hall of Famer. He might even be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he continued on this stretch. But it's also it's easier said than done to say that. But if we're projecting, like. Watching Prince Fielder hit every
1: day it was one of the greatest power hitters of our generation yeah Uh, Prince signed nine years 214 in 2012 with the Tigers Tigers. so he when he retired or when he was released and then you know retired shortly thereafter was owed four years 36 million dollars small price to pay for a guy that he earned that money yeah yeah
0: yeah That's what I was saying. I was like a small price to pay for something that he earned because he was that good.
1: Yeah. Damn.
0: Do you think he's going to make the Hall of Fame? (laughs) No. Yeah. Unfortunately not. But respect. Respect. The next player on the list is sure to be controversial. Alex Rodriguez might have the most complicated history of a superstar we've seen in our sport. He signed the largest contract in sports at the time, twice. He served the longest suspension given by the MLB for PED use, and is now one of the more famous and polarizing figures in baseball media, and seemingly has written a lot of the wrongs in his career. We know what Arod did off the field, and it might keep him from the Hall of Fame, but that shouldn't distract you from the fact that he is the greatest shortstop of all time, even though he played a good chunk of his career at third base. Through 22 seasons, he was a three-time MVP, a 14-time All-Star, a two-time Gold Glove Award winner, the 29th member of the 3,000-hit club, and a World Series champion in 2009. He's far and away the best player to ever play the position. Let's compare him to two all-time greats. So why I use WRC Plus is it's able to contextualize and compare across eras. 100 is Major League Average. Every percentage point above is that percentage point above Major League Average. A-Rod had a career 141 WRC Plus and compiled 113.7 F-War. Cal Ripken Jr., career WRC Plus of 112 and compiled 92.5 F-War. Derek Jeter, his teammate. Career WRC plus of 119 and only compiled 73 F war. And you're telling me, all right, let's compare him to a third baseman. How about the best of all time in Mike Schmidt with the Phillies? Mike Schmidt had a career 147 WRC plus, so slightly better than A-Rod, but compiled 105.6 war, which is less than A-Rod, 548 home runs, which is about 150 less than A-Rod and 2,234 hits, which is about 900 less than Arod, rod A-Rod finished 4th all-time in home runs at 696, finished top 10 in MVP voting 10 times. And from 2001 to 2002, his he hit 109 home runs and played every single game while hitting over 300 in both of them. There's a lot more to go into over his career off the field. And I want to talk about the steroid use because he admitted... That that stretch from 2001, 2002, 2003 with the Rangers, when he signed that big deal, 10 years, 252 million, that that's when he started steroids. But is that actually when he started, Jack? Because I have some other things I'd like to talk about. Oh, let's dive into the conspiracies. All right. So here's something to mention. Arod rod first admitted to doing steroids with the Texas Rangers, yet was working out with Jose Canseco when he was 18. Jose Canseco, HGH monster, when A-Rod was 18. But it goes even farther than that. A-Rod didn't make his varsity high school team as a freshman because he was kind of skinny, and he was seen kind of as a defensive player only. But in between his sophomore and junior seasons of high school, Jack, In sophomore and junior year, he added 28 pounds and increased his bench press by 200 pounds. Has he been doing steroids his entire career? And this is also a guy who has sued MLB, sued the MLBPA, sued his own team doctor has told on other players for steroids, has lied about taking steroids, has then admitted the timeline, we aren't so sure. Ah, It's one of those things where with Barry Bonds, for example, maybe Roger Clemens, were they taking steroids earlier in their career? And Barry Bonds has been noted that, I mean, there's a book that even says that Barry Bonds only took steroids to crack the home run record. Was A-Rod taking steroids his entire career? Is that enough information to make a definitive statement, yes, and to say that, yes, he is lying? I don't know, but no. I think that is
1: sketchy. Here, Here's the thing. Um, not all of it was synthetic with him. There are two books you have to, have to, have to read to contextualize who Alex Rodriguez is. Juiced by Jose Canseco. And A-Rod, The Many Lives of Alex Rodriguez by Selena Roberts. Read those two books and you better understand what exactly A-Rod is. And Alex Rodriguez possesses one of the best work ethics in baseball history. The way he got after it, the way he attacked his body, the way he viewed his body as a temple. There was no faking that is second to none. This guy... Respected the shit out of his body. He fed it all the right things. He trained it in exactly the right ways. And he used steroids to his advantage. Alex Rodriguez cheated. I don't know. I don't know exactly the window in which he was cheating. Texas, obviously, he cheated. Obviously, he cheated. He admit to it.
0: Those two years in Texas, I mean. He was cheating. 57 yeah. home runs, 52 home runs, hit 318 at 300. Like, he was yeah. crazy. Like, if, if you if
1: you weren't even looking at the steroids, like, those two years, Jack, are insane. Mm. They're insane. He was crazy. But, but here's the thing, though. I think the beginning of his time in Seattle where he was hitting in front of Griffey and then with the Yankees, you can attribute a lot of that to how this guy attacked his body like how this guy took care of himself and committed himself to being a world-class athlete. Alex Rodriguez, Hall of Fame or not, is one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, Because of his ability, because of his work ethic, uh, and also maybe because of a needle or two in his ass. Um, Now, that's the problem. That's when you get into the steroid issue. But Alex Rodriguez and his 162-game average here let me, let me just run through this right now. This is baseball reference consolidating him to an 162 game average. It's nuts. A-Rod slash 295, 380, 550. That's a 930 OPS and a 140 OPS plus. Dude averaged 40 bombs and 121 driven in and 19 stolen bases per year. And that's like with old years on the Yankees still factored into
0: that. That's... All of the years he's ever had, 22 of them combined into one season.
1: If he put that up right now, he's winning the MVP every year, but he did it at this time of inflation where everybody was sticking needles in their ass. His career is kind of like what we expect from
0: Fernando Tatis Jr. year in and year out.
1: Yeah, shit.
0: Yeah, shit. And it's funny, you mentioned uh, just talking about A-Rod the person again. You mentioned Ken Griffey, another one of his marquee teammates, Derek Cheater, Both spoke out against him, didn't like him. And also to, to the point about your work ethic that I wanted to touch on too, there's this narrative with steroids that if you take steroids, it instantly makes you look like Mark Maguire. False, false. It's just not the case. Like You have to put in hours and hours and hours and days and years of training in order for the steroids to work to make you a better baseball player. But the thing is, with steroids, that is not enough talked about. It's not just about the brute strength. It, it, it helps your vision. And to see the baseball is so important. Like, these guys mentioned laser focus. That's almost more important than the power itself. If you think yeah. about it, seeing yeah. the baseball. I and mean, we've even mentioned, we talked about Josh Hamilton in day games. And guys with blue eyes and how it really affects them. And you could see it through their splits. Like, seeing the baseball is so crucial and steroids gives you basically laser vision.
1: It also, you know, you think about how those guys ticked too, right? Like there are days where I want to get up and I don't even want to go for a walk. I'm just like, I'm feeling lazy as shit today. I just kind of want to, you know, bum around, wear my moccasins, shuffle. I mean, yeah. this guy was getting up and saying, I'm going to set a PR on bench today. Like yeah. every day. Every day. Oh, I'm I'm going to clean 350 pounds like that's what these guys do they they're wired differently and that's why you have to read juiced by jose canseco it just the first 15 pages if you're not a book person if you don't want to read the entire thing the first 15 pages jose canseco goes into how you can tailor steroid use to create your best version of yourself you're not doing it to become this beefcake with popeye forearms you're doing it to finely tune your body, it's almost like giving your body premium gas. It's like giving your car premium gas. You're just going to get more mileage out of it. You're going to live a higher quality of life. You're going to be healthier if you use them to your advantage. And he breaks it down, you know, the, the um, elements that are in your body, how human growth hormone and how other steroids interact with that. It can be really healthy for a lot of people. Problem is it is cheating in Major League Baseball.
0: And the problem, we're talking pretty positively about steroids right now. Like, there are major health effects that will affect you down the line. Like, yeah. if there if there are younger baseball players listening to this and you're hearing, oh, steroids, like, it seems like, you know, you could still get in the Hall of Fame. Like, it, it could destroy your life, both yeah. mentally and physically. And it destroyed yes. A-Rod's life, like, off the field, and then you consider the greats of our time, the Barry Bonds, the Roger Clemens, the rage that ensued, the off-the-field stuff. That, I mean, Roger Clemens threw a bat back at Mike Piazza because he was so juiced up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's It's tough to call that he was juiced up, but, I mean, I, how else can you explain rage like that when he breaks off a bat and it goes at you and you chuck it bad at him? I, you have to be on something. I don't know if it's roids, but you got to be <laughs> on something. And... I just, I love these conversations because they're so nuanced and they're so like, do we allow this guy who we know tested positive, this guy was mentioned in a Mitchell report, like how do we as baseball fans come to a conclusion of this is what needs to happen to get into the Hall of Fame? Because this is kind of what I'm thinking. This is what kind of I'm thinking. Because even Sammy Sosa didn't fail a drug test. Like, but yet he's so... He and David Ortiz have similar ties to steroids and yet a guy like David Ortiz is so well-loved and might get in the Hall of Fame and a guy like Sammy Sosa won't, but Sammy Sosa is a guy who hit over 600 home runs. It's such a tough decision. So because everything is so muddled, because, and it's been said before that guys who are already in the Hall of Fame were doing steroids that we just didn't know about. I'm kind of like, you know what? If you meet the criteria, let them all in. Even Maguire. Yeah, even if like you get to that threshold, you're in. Because I, I, I don't know how to decipher either that, or none of them. And I'm actually totally okay with either. But I, I, and I've said it before that maybe you could get Barry Bonds in, Roger Clemens, A. Rod, but not the other guys, Manny Ramirez. I'm like, you know what? All or let none. them all in, or all none of them in. Like, let's decide, because yeah. I don't like this middle ground.
1: Yeah. It's – I don't know. What I, do you think? I can't take – I I can't take this definitive stance now. i to <laughs> do it at the end. I'm taking gotta it now. i got to do it. That's fine. I, I'm saving my bullets for the end. Because uh, we're also going to fill out the story. ballot at the end. Yeah. What, one quick story on, uh, on the long-term health effects of steroids before we wrap – Um my dad relays this story to me all the time because it was it was a little bit younger than than what I could remember. I think I was like five or six years old. Uh, we were at spring training one year in Arizona and Bonds was, you know, playing spring training and people were chanting Balco, Adam, Balco, Balco, which was, you know, the company. And, and they were also saying, Barry, did you take your meds this morning? And I turned to my dad and I said, Dad, is Barry Bonds sick? And apparently... <laughs> This guy that's standing next to my dad leans down to me and says, "He's not sick now, but he will be in about ten years."
0: <laughs> and I, mean, I
1: think that's one of the funnier things I've ever heard. It's true. It's there's 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 there's
0: comedy and truth because yeah. it is like, I mean, uh, this is like not even a conversation that we that we get in about like. Like, how they're going to develop
1: in their 50s and their 60s just no, as people. No, we should talk to doctors about that. Yeah,
0: and so don't take out We just
1: had the lieutenant governor of Georgia on. Like, we can go get a doctor on to talk about long-term of <laughs> steroids. That's what we should do because I think that's important because I don't think that's talked about enough. The fact that
0: it could yeah. kill you. But yeah, hit a lot of home runs. Hit a lot of home runs. <laughs> had a good time. A-Rod made $420 million. Yeah. Trip. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot now. <laughs> That's a lot uh, now. Uh, like, he was getting paid like crazy. He was the LeBron James of his era in that sort of years, sense. Dude,
1: 10 years, 262 or 12 years, 252. 252. 10 for 252? 10 for 252. Wow. That was the groundbreaking contract. That was the pioneering deal.
0: Do you know what the Mariners offered him to stay? Five for 92. <laughs> the demands that he asked from the New York Mets when he was asking to sign. He was asking for his own suite on away games. Butler. I need more. I need more, you know, um, signs than Derek Jeter. What, I'm, I'm forgetting. What are those? Uh, what are the names of uh, you're going when you're driving down the freeway? Oh billboards! Billboards! Like he wanted more billboards than Derek Jeter.
1: What a self-conscious
0: motherfucker! <laughs> Got it. Oh, I mean, that's what that was the word. It was like this guy's not comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. Guys like Ken Rosenthal said that. Said it on yep. the ESPN.
1: Greeny, they all said, and it was clear. You Alrighty. watch interviews. Ech, but Blech. legend. It's Peter, I'm Jack. Every link you need is in the episode description. Um, we'll talk to you tomorrow. It'll be the three of us. Thank you, everybody.